Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where, after having watched an episode of Doctor Who, I tell you all about it. There may be other podcasts where other people watch episodes of Doctor Who and tell you about it, but this is the one where Kyle watches Doctor Who and tells you about it. That's how you can tell this one apart. <laughs> Indeed. Unless they also have people named Kyle, in which case we have to find them and negotiate. (laughs) (laughs) There can be only one. That's true. And it is Uh, this one. We we might might do a Highlander podcast at some point once we finish. (laughs) Uh In, you know, 40 years from now. Yeah, by that time, this Highlander reboot that I keep hearing news about um, may actually have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Give us something Uh, to look forward to. That might be fun. I actually wouldn't mind a Highlander reboot. I feel like it's a it's a fun concept. Yeah, definitely. Uh, who 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 doesn't love the idea of these immortal people just going through time or going through history? I should say because they don't travel through time, um, chopping off each other's heads, getting stronger, finding each other, making mm-hmm. friendships, bumping into each other again after centuries. Um, but speaking of going through time, that also sounds like a good concept. <laughs> <laughs> I believe uh, we have been discussing some characters who are going through time. Yes, and uh, you know, in some ways, these characters could be immortals because didn't we establish that uh, Barbara and Ian are about five hundred some years old from Ian's <laughs> point of view? Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Although I guess now that they're in Roman times, does that make them all like negative two thousand years old? <laughs> well, they're looking good for whatever age they happen to be. <laughs> yeah, I looked up this thing. Well, I wasn't really looking it up. I was just looking at the Doctor Who uh, posts on Tumblr, and I saw one with the ages of the various like companions through the years. And I noticed that like Barbara and Ian are basically like our age, and I think Barbara's actually a little younger. Oh, it's just I think they were just, they're mostly basing it on the uh, the actors' ages. Um, at the time that they were filming, and it was just this like weird moment because they, they they certainly read as you know uh, <laughs> little older things to I think um, fashions of the time, and and then that uh, very specific kind of radio way of talking that they have. Yeah, that's true. But I thought that was that was interesting. Barbara definitely has mom hair. <laughs> yeah. I guess grandma hair in some ways, um, but she makes it work. She uh-huh. makes it work. She's awesome. I love Barbara. I love Ian too. I love them both. And yeah, you know, Ian's always in his suit, except when they put him into period clothing. So I feel like that's a, a very, very dad sort of thing to do. Always wear a <laughs> suit everywhere. Uh, as you expect of high school teachers, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe not. Well, this is the 13th episode of season two. Yes. Titled All Roads Lead to Rome. Yes, lucky number 13. And before we get into the cliff dangler, I did want to give a brief content warning that we probably should have also mentioned in the previous episode. 
that this episode and in fact this whole serial continues to include depictions of people who have been enslaved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can kind of get that from the the titles, but um, yeah. yeah, it's I mean, it's not something that uh is ever like um something that should be treated lightly. Um so yeah, I I mean, you know, we we never blame any of our beloved listeners if they choose to to skip a, a serial. Um but I, I would certainly understand if you wanted to skip this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Did you have any other notes or stuff that you wanted to cover before we get into it? Uh, no, I think that was the only serious thing I had. Let's get down to the the silly bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's most of it with our podcast. Yeah. So how about so that? Cliffhanger. How about that cliffhanger? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the cliffhanger. Cliff- I, I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> screw, <laughs> screw me. <laughs> uh, sorry, future me. I, I, I made the decision now and you have to leave it in now. Um, yeah, so the cliff dangler was that our heroes got enslaved by some enslavers. Um, well, uh, Ian and Barbara got enslaved by some enslavers. And I, I think... Well, I think Barbara is being taken to Rome to be sold, but Ian <laughs> was apparently such a good deal. I think it was Ian. I might, I might be getting yeah. these two mixed up, but I think it was Ian who was apparently such a good deal that the, the this you know person looking to buy enslaved people couldn't pass him up, and he's already been sold. And uh, we've learned that uh, the the enslaver who bought him has no intention of going anywhere near Rome because I think you know he's he was thinking he's going to look up uh, Barbara when when they get to Rome and then you know they can kind of figure something out from there but then the, the, the person who bought him was like um, uh, you know we're, we're not going anywhere near Rome and so it's like uh oh that, that's not gonna <laughs> make this so easy uh-huh. um, but I have a feeling that uh, they'll figure something out they are people of action indeed meanwhile the doctor is impersonating the musician Maximus Petulian <laughs> yes. who, who was murdered along the road yes the the liar player right and so the our, our doctor has become a liar and claiming to be <laughs> the liar player um and we know that his life is in danger as nero doesn't like anyone who can play better than he can and I suspect that's a lot of people, or just about <laughs> anyone who can play the liar. Uh-huh. Although the doctor himself may be safe based on his uh, attempts so far. <laughs> <laughs> right. In fact, I think at the end of episode 12, the doctor himself was joking about how much he sucks at the liar and how Nero's almost certainly better. Yeah, so he... Uh, well. Maybe depending on his bluff checks, <laughs> when he rolls on his performance check, um, this may may be okay yet. So as he's making these jokes, the assassin who had previously been hired to kill the actual liar player and who actually did kill the actual liar player, the assassin is sneaking up to the doctor's room because oh, right. that was the actual clip thing, right. wasn't it? <laughs> I hadn't actually gotten to that. Uh, yeah, because the doctor needs to be killed, theoretically, because they all believe that he's the musician. So the assassin gets into the room. He's being very quiet and sneaky. He rolls a very high stealth check. 
but not quite high enough for the doctor's passive perception. Right. He, so the, the assassin starts stabbing the, the bed while shrieking, but then we see all these fe feathers flying up. <laughs> and then it cuts to the doctor, and he's in a completely different room. Oh, what a good, what a good fake out. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually see the doctor turn around just as the assassin comes at him with a knife, and the doctor blocks the attack with the liar. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And, you know, the assassin kind of gets thrown off balance a little bit, so the doctor smashes a vase over his head and then throws a blanket over his head. <laughs> He's using his uh, environment in a clever way. Uh-huh. So, you know, the assassin is, like, fumbling to get this blanket off of his head, and by the time he gets himself uncovered, the doctor's got another vase ready and <laughs> smashes him again. I can I can picture this like one of those telltale games where like <laughs> the doctor is fighting and then oh you got the time bar like uh -huh. down but then there's like the 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 vase that's nearby and it has like the circle on it and oh man you're trying so hard to click and or tap on it <laughs> and you've got to tap you've got to get the timing just right or yes you know if you're too slow then the assassin's going to get you but if you're too fast then he'll just like drop the vase and smash it on the ground and then, uh, and then you got to do the blanket. Oh man, this this quick time event just does not end. <laughs> uh, I get so sweaty playing those games, Kyle. I can. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to leave that one in. I probably am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the assassin gets vased over the head again. He swings a sword at the doctor, but the doctor's easily able to dodge. And about this time, Vicky rushes into the room. She's heard the commotion. She sees what's happening, and she picks up another vase. And <laughs> a lot of vases in it. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> she starts going for the assassin's head with it, but he's like, fuck this, I've had enough vases. And he <laughs> runs and jumps out of the window. So you know how in these like archaeological digs, when they're digging up like Roman ruins, they always find like vase shards. Um, now we know why those are in shards. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out vases were a very important piece of Roman self-defense. Yes, uh, as as introduced to the ancient Romans by the Doctor and Vicky. <laughs> so the assassin jumps out the window, and they officially exit combat. Nice. You know, I am so constantly outwitting the opposition, I tend to forget the delights and satisfaction of the arts, the gentle art of fisticuffs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Someone's uh, really uh, feeling himself there, Doctor. <laughs> Vicky's impressed that the Doctor actually can fight. And <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, he, he did okay. He, he handled himself. I, I have a feeling that like that was a pretty, pretty close shave and he was beating the DCs or I guess tying the DCs on many of his roles or <laughs> maybe even, uh, I don't know. Now I'm combining all these uh, things. Like, what do they say? Who knows? Yes, exactly. I was going to say, who knows how many times he had to load his save games? <laughs> Again, like me playing a Telltale game. <laughs> so he, he actually tells Vicky that he used to train and teach the Mountain Mauler of Montana. 
Oh, wow. The yeah. Mountain Mauler. I, I looked that up. Apparently, the Mountain Mauler of Montana is a famous wrestler, but the only references I found to it were specific to Doctor Who. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that's cool, though. Yeah. I did read that that line wasn't scripted. William Hartnell ad-libbed it. <laughs> uh I, I like that this is how he sees his character. <laughs> He's like, I, I may be this, you know, scientist, this old man, you know, um, walking with a cane sometimes. But by golly, back in the day, I was just delivering brutal suplexes to anyone who came after my belt. <laughs> <laughs> so Vicky tells the doctor that this Roman centurion who, you know, escorted them into town isn't around. And the doctor explains that, yeah, probably that's because the centurion was the one who probably hired the assassin. Uh huh. Uh huh. Accurate. If I remember right. Uh huh. The doctor of course is still planning to continue his trip to Rome, still planning to continue impersonating Maximus Petullian, the liar player. I mean, why not? As far as he knows, Uh (laughs) you are not related. Vicky is worried that the assassin might try again, but the doctor doesn't give a shit. Well, of course he might. But who am I to worry about such little things like that? Hmm? Now then, there's one thing you've got to learn about me. When I say we go to Rome, then we go to Rome. (laughs) Man, I, yeah, I... I mean, as much as the doctor is a problematic fave and kind of an asshole, I know that we're always like surprised that they could have made him this twinkly-eyed old gentleman, but they went for this old bastard instead. But I, I kind of still like genuinely like him. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. He's a problematic fave, but you can't have problematic fave without the fave. Yeah, that's very true. So with this, we cut to a shot of a model of ancient Rome that I'm sure some history nerd at the BBC had a lot of fun putting together. Like the entire city? Uh, We get actually like three quick shots of the model, like three different shots, uh, I guess just to like show how big and how cool the model is. It is pretty big and cool. Nice. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. We also see the word Roma appear on screen in big Roman-looking letters in a very nice serif font. Nice. And I, yeah, I just I just love these like these touches. It's uh it, it's so good. Yeah. And you know, like we get, you know, we get words on screen every episode, you know, next episode blah, and it always has like the episode title but those are in sans serif font. But if you're in Rome, you got to use a serif font. Like, that's just that's how right. it works. <laughs> so now that we are established in Rome, we cut to the holding cells for the enslaved people being brought into town by the enslavers of the previous episode. Mm. And, of course, Barbara is among these enslaved people. Yeah. She is helping this old woman who has a cough, another one of the enslaved people, and 
the old woman mentions that the march to Rome took 34 days. Dang. Yeah, that's uh, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I imagine the not the not the most uh, pleasant means of travel for these enslaved people. For a moment, I thought that a month had somehow passed, like since the previous episode. But then, as I like reviewed the dialogue and thought about it a little bit more, I realized that. Of course, this old woman was one of the people from Gaul, mm-hmm. and she's saying that that march from Gaul took 34 days. That makes sense. So I think Barbara was only there for like the last the last few days of it. Uh-huh. So the old woman mentions Barbara's friend, Ian. Of course, Barbara has been talking about Ian as they travel, and you know she says something about how strange his name is. Old woman's never heard that name before, but she hopes... Did I say Ian? I meant Ianis. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you know, she he's got a, a weird name, but she hopes that he's able to find Barbara someday. Yeah. You know? Barbara, of course, looks wistfully out of the cell window and thinks about Ian... Oh, we cut to a ship at sea and inside of the ship, we see that Ian is one of the many enslaved people operating giant oars to propel the ship through the sea. Dang. There's it's not, not, not the the (laughs) most fun way to get your exercise. Yeah. There's a galley master beating a drum. He's calling. To direct the rowing. But it's break time now. You know, they, they get a few minutes off. And in the dialogue in this break time, it is established that it's apparently been five days of rowing. Dang. That ain't fun. Yeah. So I guess that does give us the time from the previous episode, though. It's It's been five days. And yeah, they've they've been at sea, they've been rowing. But at this point, they can actually see distant land through the oarlocks. I'm not a great swimmer, Gilles, but I'll take any risk, believe me. I believe you. Ian, person of action. As always. So they start talking about the plan, and Delos says, ah, and kind of slumps over. (laughs) That's a good plan so far. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So Ian calls out to the galley master, saying that Delos is dead. So the galley master comes over to check it out. He's kind of, you know, leaning down over Delos. Uh, You know, the galley master, he's got kind of an aisle between the rows of rowers. Uh-huh. And the rowers are kind of like set down. So, you know, the galley master is like standing a few feet up above where they're sitting. So he's kind of leaning down, checking on Delos, and Ian grabs him. Person of action. Yep. But, you know, given the situation, the GM makes Ian roll with disadvantage. 
and the galley master basically just kind of like smacks Ian and steps back up and away. You'll have to do better than that! Ian's like, don't worry, I will. <laughs> and with that, their break time ends and they get back to rowing. For some reason, my brain just like goes to some sort of like uh, Money Python-esque sketch or something where like, you know, he's like, oh, my companion's dead. And the, the, the person in charge is like, break time's over. He's like, but my person is dead. But I don't know. <laughs> dead or alive, your break time's still over. <laughs> Keep rowing either way. Not dead yet. So back in Rome, Barbara is sharing her food with the old woman, her Gaulish cellmate. And Barbara's a good one. Yeah, she really is. This bald Roman approaches her cell and he asks her name. Wow, look at how much hair that one has. (laughs) I could use some of that. It looks like one solid chunk of hair. I could just lift that off her head and put it on mine. (laughs) Those of you who haven't seen uh, Barbara Wright's hairdo, (laughs) feel free to to Google it. Uh Uh-huh. So he asks her name and he says that he wants to help her. Barbara asks if this means that she'd be free. And he says no, he would need to purchase her as an enslaved person himself. And she tells him to fuck right off with that shit. Oh, go away. I don't have to listen to you. Yes. Yes. Well said. So Cheria shows up. He is, remember, one of the buyers and sellers and traders of enslaved people. Mm -hmm. And this bald guy asks him how much Barbara costs, but Sevcheria won't sell her to him directly, like in a private sale. Yeah, I think he said earlier he wants to do an auction. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tobias, no private sales. She's to be sold by auction. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I just said, Sacheria. <laughs> so Tavius, the bald Roman, says that Sevcheria is not going to get a higher price for her at auction than what he's willing to pay. And Sevcheria is basically like, well, we'll see at the auction. Uh-huh. So Tavius leaves and Sevcheria gives Barbara a new dress because he wants her to look her best for the auction. Mm -hmm. Her cellmate, the old woman, doesn't get a new dress. Apparently, she is going to be taken to the circus and thrown in the arena. Oh, jeez. Yeah. We cut from this to stock footage of waves hitting rocky shores interspersed with stock footage of dark clouds and overlaid with stock footage of lightning bolts. Oh no. And we cut from all the stock footage into the galley of the ship. Something tells me that uh, they're not having such a good time right now. Yeah. The galley master is threatening to throw overboard anyone who stops rowing. And Delos is reaching the end of his strength. He can't row much longer. 
And Ian is basically telling him to just, like, at least keep his hands on the oar. Mm -hmm. So, like, Ian will continue rowing and he'll at least look like Delos is rolling so he he doesn't get killed. Yes. Ian Ian has enough strength to row for the both of them. The galley master goes and he looks up through, like, the access hatch toward the deck of the ship and a stagehand up on deck off camera dumps a bucket of water in his face. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the storm's getting rougher and rougher. Ian starts to think that maybe they're going to get a chance to escape. That stagehand was like, every day checking like the shooting schedule ever since getting to slap <laughs> the actors in, in their faces with branches in, in the one with the cave people all uh-huh. those episodes ago that stage has been waiting for the next moment <laughs> when they could do something like this again and boy, finally they have a smile on their face uh-huh. finally their <laughs> and, scene is here it turns out this is not the only bucket of water they get a dump in somebody's face Nice. We get a few more buckets of water thrown into the scene from nice. various off-camera angles. And in all these buckets of water, the galley master loses his footing and kind of falls into the rows of rowers. Mm-hmm. They all, of course, grab him and hold him down. But they can't really do much more because more buckets of water are getting thrown into the scene. And then a wooden beam from the rafters of the ship, like falls onto this pile of people. And then we cut back to more of our stormy stock footage as the music peaks. And then it all fades to black. Wow. Well, uh, Something tells me that at least Ian's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Survivors of London, the Daleks are the masters of Earth. Surrender now and you will live. Those wishing to surrender must leave a five-star review on iTunes and email the doctor's watcher at gmail.com or tweet at doctor watcher and obey orders received message ends we fade in on vicky and the doctor arriving in a marketplace vicky is excited to start exploring and The Doctor figures that that's okay for a little while, but they'll have to go meet Emperor Nero at some point. (laughs) The Doctor's like, well, you can can go explore a little, but don't forget we're going to meet the Emperor of Rome. (laughs) Vicky is still not sure about that. She thinks it's not a great idea. (laughs) <laughs> she's like nero nero i think i've i think i've heard of that one uh, <laughs> I, I just i just don't get the the vibe that he was one of the chill ones <laughs> doctor insists though no 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 don't tell me what i'm not going to do i've been invited i can't disappoint nero that would just be rude <laughs> they hear a commotion starting over at 
one part of the marketplace and Vicky wonders what this commotion is, but the doctor is able to see and tell that an auction of enslaved people is about to start. He doesn't really want Vicky to be exposed to shit like that. So he kind of steers himself and Vicky away from it just in time to not see Barbara get brought out. Uh, doctor. Then the doctor's player is just like, oh, I'm, I just didn't want a metagame. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Barbara's player is like, come on. Uh-huh. It's okay to metagame right sometimes. You can justify it in game. Exactly. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll write that down for that, for when you're uh, running the next uh, the next game, Kyle. <laughs> so the camera actually stays with Barbara at the auction as the doctor and Vicky walk away, and people start bidding on her. The price gets up to two thousand five hundred sestertia when Tavius shows up and he bids 10,000. Whoa. And he wins the auction and purchases her. Tavius just loves uh, dramatic entrance. Yeah. But, you know, I guess he was telling Savcharia earlier that he wasn't going to get a better price than what Tavius would pay. Mm-hmm. We cut from this to a seashore and it's calm. It's not stormy at all, and as the camera pans, we see Ian face down in the sand. And somewhere there's a stagehand who's like, oh, well, I enjoyed my moment. <laughs> well, I had it. I guess, uh, I guess I won't be needing this bucket anymore. He you know, has a whole ceremony and says goodbye to the bucket and <laughs> puts oh, it in the closet <laughs> until next time. So Ian wakes up, and Delos is there. Delos tells him what happened. Apparently, when... Uh, Ian's like, what's the deal, Delos? (laughs) shaking his head. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently, when the galley master fell into the rows of rowers, Delos apparently managed to get the key off of him, and... Freed himself and Ian. Nice. Meanwhile, the ship got smashed to pieces, and Delos somehow got himself and Ian to shore. The DM's like, well, I can just kill off your character. What what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. So that is the full extent of the details of the backstory of the shipwreck. It's uh, <laughs> all we needed. Uh huh. Delos thinks that they should travel together and that they should head north. But Ian is like, Sorry, Delos. I'm going to Rome. And Delos is like, Yeah, Rome's to the north. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any idea where you are right now? Uh huh. Delos thinks that this is a bad idea. Rome? But Ian, you're mad. But, of course, Ian needs to go save Barbara, just like he promised he would. Yes. We cut to Barbara, who is 
now in her new situation, having been purchased by Tavius. Uh, I hope I don't need to say, but I will say anyway, that human beings cannot actually be bought or sold or owned, but mm -hmm. I, I don't really know how else to, to describe this. Tavius yeah, paid yeah, money remember, and is now in charge that, of... Yeah. Thinking that earlier when I was talking about uh, um, Ian getting, uh, you know, passed from one enslaver to another with an exchange of money right previous episode so yeah i guess just be aware if we happen to to use language like that which i think we're mostly trying to avoid that you know benny and i don't think that it is a good thing to enslave people or even you know i think i think what you said i mean uh, that goes without saying. Before, <laughs> before I go on, that goes without saying. But I think what you were saying earlier is also like very uh, accurate uh, when you're saying that it's not possible to yeah. uh, to to purchase a, a human being. Um, but I think that you know, just for the the, the sake of time, uh, we'll we'll need to ref use terminology like that, just so that we're not saying, you know this person is being passed from one slaver to another with a exchange of money every time. Right. Yeah. So all that said, Barbara's new situation is here with Tavius and yeah. So what kind of vibe are we getting off this Tavius guy? Like, um, he, he seemed some, for some reason he wanted Barbara, but like how, how, obviously it's not good like <laughs> um but but ju just just how how vile and how skeevy is the vibe that we're getting from him he is decidedly on the less vile and skeevy side because okay. yeah earlier he said something about like yeah. how he could help her or something but right like, yeah you know that that can come across <laughs> a couple of different <laughs> ways so yeah, he actually explains to her here that he saw her taking care of the old woman. Oh, hi, Matilda. He saw her taking care of the old woman, and that's when he knew he had to help her. So, you know, I think basically he sees that she is a kind and caring person, and... And thus yeah, he's, he he's still not a kind and caring enough person himself to uh, right to try to take care of this old woman. So yeah, he he tells her that you know he can't offer her freedom, but you know she will remain enslaved. But at least here in Nero's house, as a, a servant of Popea, life will be more pleasant than it could have been. Hmm. So yeah, he's like trying to give her a, a less hard life by having her be an enslaved person who works in the palace, basically. Yeah, the DM is is trying their best to get all the the player characters back together again. Right. And the players are not making it super easy in some cases. <laughs> looking at you, Doctor's player. Uh huh. <laughs> so she tells Tavius that. She's grateful for this, but she's still planning on G-ing TFO. Huh, like how does she, I mean, 
uh, as much as we appreciate the our, our, uh, old classic term "gene TFO," uh, does she just tell him that she's planning on escaping, or, or how does she put it? Uh, I think she tells him that she's planning on leaving, and he interprets that as uh, as planning on escaping, and uh-huh. which you know is the correct interpretation. Indeed. <laughs> And he reminds her that if she escapes and gets recaptured, she would be put to death. Hmm. Before the conversation, Sucks. yeah. And before the conversation gets much farther than this, another servant enters the room, telling Tavius that Maximus Petulian is here to see Emperor Nero. <laughs> and Barbara's like, "Who could that be?" And the, the, this the, this messenger is like, "Yeah, he's this grumpy old bastard, and I'm just not convinced that he can actually play the liar." And Barbara's like, ah, <laughs> "Now I know." Uh huh. Octavius actually seems a little bit surprised to hear of the presence of the musician, and he tells the servant to send him in, but then he changes his mind. And says that he will come out to meet the musician. And he heads out, leaving Barbara alone in the room. <laughs> uh, I, guess the, I guess the GM was like, well, I guess if the players passed up their opportunity to reconnect earlier, I'm just going to see how long we can keep this up. <laughs> so out in the reception hall, Tavius heads over to the doctor who, of course, he believes is the musician. And he tells the doctor something about how Tavius has been clearing up some trouble and that the person is in the apoditarium. The person? Yeah, he. I think he basically just says, like, he's in the apoditarium. He uses a pronoun without specifying specifically who the pronoun is referring to. But we can guess. I mean, if we were to guess it, we'd guess Emperor Nero at this point, right? Um, I I honestly wasn't sure what Tavius was talking about at this point, or who he was talking about. Oh, okay, it might be it might be like the the master of entertainment or something. Yeah, it could be. But my guess is still Nero. So he passes this information to the doctor, and then. Nero actually enters the room and belches. <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's, that's one form of <laughs> making an entrance. <laughs> Vicky and the doctor make some kind of peanut gallery comments to each other under their breaths, you know, making some digs at Nero. But Nero hears somebody speaking. Someone spoke. Did I give permission to speak, Tavis? Did I give permission? So how are they? How are they doing, Nero? I mean, obviously, walking in and belching makes him seem kind of, I, I guess, comic as a character. Because you know, I think that the the usual interpretation of Nero uh, is, um, well, as as a person who was very unpredictable um and probably mentally ill uh but i know that uh in in entertainment that can be sometimes kind of 
shorthanded into like almost comically oafish or or um, cartoonish in a way. That is basically what they're doing here. Yeah, with uh-huh. his character, um, uh-huh. he definitely looks pretty slobby, and yeah, they kind of play up his like inability to keep track of what's going on and yeah he's definitely a comic oafishness is is what they're going for gotcha uh, i mean yeah after that belch i think <laughs> yeah then uh, that was that that was the vibe i actually read that this entire serial was like they basically wrote as a comedy serial <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, what kind of? What, what do you guys think for a comedy serial? What, what should we do? Um, how about one about enslavers, in which some of our characters get enslaved? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Comic gold are, are forced into <laughs> to manual labor, and yeah, yeah. So the doctor gets introduced, of course, as Maximus Petulian, and Nero orders him to play. Doctor says that he would like to take inspiration from Nero's fine example and hands Nero the lyre. Okay. So Nero strums it once and then basically says that it's a pretty shitty lyre and he calls for the imperial lyre. Nice. All right. So the imperial lyre gets brought out and Nero strums it once and then hands it over to the doctor. And the doctor also strums it just once and then says that that's the best that he can do. <laughs> uh, gutsy. <laughs> uh-huh. Vicky's like, Oh no, it wasn't as good. And Nero's like, Of course it wasn't. And then he strums it like three or four times in a little melody. The doctor's like, I'll try harder. And Vicky's picking up what's going on. And she's like, or you don't, you really don't have to. <laughs> uh-huh. Darn. Oh, what a shame. You're just not that good. And Nero's just so much better. <laughs> and, but if this, if, if this little scene that I'm, I'm imagining here actually happened, the doctor would be like, nonsense. I insist. <laughs> <laughs> I must play and I must do better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Nero does his little melody and then hands it back to the doctor, but the doctor won't play it now. After such exquisite playing, I cannot presume it would be out of the question. May I suggest that this instrument goes to your temple? <laughs> well, okay, so I guess even the <laughs> doctor is picking up on what's going on here. <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, Nero has the lyre taken off to his temple, and he gives the doctor a hunk of meat to eat. <laughs> We're talking a big, like, Renfair-style turkey leg? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. We will talk and play together later, Maximus, when you have eaten and practiced. <laughs> Get better, but not too much better. <laughs> Nero leaves, and 
the doctor starts gloating to Vicky about how well he got out of it. But she's like, what happens when he asks you to play next time? And the doctor, <laughs> the doctor's like, as usual, I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. We cut to Ian and Delos, who have now arrived in the streets of Rome at night. Delos wonders what the plan is now, and Ian admits that he doesn't really have one yet. <laughs> well, uh, I guess he and the doctor have been hanging out a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> Just figuring things out as you go along. Uh, uh-huh. It's, uh, it's passed from one to the other. <laughs> um, but if if this is indeed a TTRPG, as we tend to, to describe it, then I think I think most players are right there with them. Yeah, sometimes the best plans come from not having a plan. And any plan that you put together is going to fall apart almost instantly anyway. So why bother even making one? <laughs> because then you can take like half the game session coming up with some incredibly, increasingly elaborate plan. That's um, true. While the DM is just sitting there like silently wondering uh, <laughs> where <laughs> this is going. Uh-huh. How many pages of, of prep work is are they going to have to throw away? <laughs> <laughs> so Delos says that he'd probably better get a plan. We don't exactly look like respectable citizens of the capital. And Ian's like, gotcha, step one, new, new costumes. <laughs> so Ian starts thinking about what they need to do. You know, step one, new costumes... Step two, find Barbara. Step I guess. three, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step uh-huh. four, profit. <laughs> but not off of people, because Ian is a good person. I guess step two is actually figure out where to look for Barbara, which Delos says is hopeless. <laughs> Delos is like, this is a huge city with like, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands, probably tens of thousands of people, maybe more. Probably. Probably. I don't have time to look it up right now. Um, I don't want to drag the episode to a screeching halt. Uh, <laughs> but, but Ian's like, no, no, I have a feeling that we could only afford a couple of sets. <laughs> I just have to check those and then we'll find them. Uh, usually the budget limits us to like 10 to 20 extras. <laughs> so it shouldn't be hard to check everyone. Exactly. Ian tells Delos that He's free to fuck off if he wants. But Delos is like, I know, I know, but... Well, luck's been with us so far. Who's to say it won't hold? Ah. So are we looking at... Delian? That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. Delian. Delian. Of course, as nice of a sentiment as this is, Who's to say the luck won't hold is always a bad thing to say out loud during an adventure. Uh, indeed. And That's when the, the DM just can't help but roll on the wandering monster slash wandering enslaver table. Yep. And, you know, it turns out that when you're in Rome, the random encounters table has a pair of Roman soldiers listed for pretty much every number that the dice that the die has. <laughs> 
So yeah, they turn and walk down the street and walk right into the drawn swords of two Roman soldiers. When you say walk into... (laughs) (laughs) So Vicky and the doctor head to the apoditarium. No, but seriously, when you say walk into, they don't actually get stabbed or anything, right? (laughs) No, no, no. no. Just, (laughs) Just arrested. Gotcha, gotcha. So auditorium, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a place where you buy pots. I actually, I think I looked it up and <laughs> couldn't really find anything about what it might be. Listeners, tweet at us at Doctor Watcher or email the Doctor's Watcher at gmail dot com. <laughs> <laughs> there must be an auditorium expert among our dozens of listeners. Yes, an apoditerist. <laughs> so they head, Vicky and the doctor head to the apoditarium. The doctor claims that he's not really sure why they're going, but Vicky's like, Because you're as curious as I am. Yep, she's, she's uh, got his number already. <laughs> mm-hmm. Getting to know that doctor. The doctor's like, Me, curious. Huh, nonsense. She knows him better than he knows himself. But he agrees that since they're here, they might as well look around. So they each roll their investigation check, and the doctor finds a dead body behind the curtains. (laughs) Uh, He's like, that's not the loot I was looking for. (laughs) Can't can't fit that in my backpack. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, they, they check the body closer, and it seems to be the centurion who hired the assassin. Interesting. But what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Hmm? A valid question. Ian and Delos get taken to the same block of cells that Barbara was formerly in, and... They get put in the cell right next to Barbara's former old cellmate, the Gaulish woman, where they learn that they won't be put straight to death. They are going to get a fighting chance. Oh. Quite literally, in the arena. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of had a feeling where that one was going. <laughs> It sounds as if we're going to be trained as gladiators. Ian wonders. Yes, but to fight what? Then he says. As they start to hear the low grumbles and growls of big cats, while we see all the stock footage that the BBC had of lions pacing back and forth in cages. this the words appear on the screen next episode conspiracy nice so Enslaving people is bad and wrong and really shitty and, uh, you know, entertainment 
is always, I think, going to create at best a problematic depiction of of such actions. Um, putting that aside, though, I think this has been a very entertaining serial so far. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with with all of that, both the disclaimer and the you know the assessment of the serial. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's that moment where um, the doctor was like, "Me curious, bah, or, or whatever," and like I just I can just imagine little kids watching this in in the 1960s and like giggling to themselves at that moment. That just seems like such a good good moment for little kids to be like, "Okay, obviously, <laughs> obviously, this is a joke. We know the doctor. We know he's curious. Ha 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 ha." Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to have this serial that was apparently like specifically written as a comedy, which they have not done previously in yeah. Doctor Who. Like we've had comic moments, obviously, but, but we haven't yet had a serial that is just like a comedy. Yeah. And the fact that they're like, <laughs> yeah, let's go with enslaving people as the, the first ever, you know, specifically, comic serial i still think is like, yeah mm. <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's uh it's been it's been a good one in terms of entertainment value at least yeah and i i will also add that you know as many of the comic moments as i'm giving you there are plenty that i am not mentioning just because i don't want our episodes to be like two hours long <laughs> yeah they're already like much longer than the actual tv episodes <laughs> i imagine a lot of it is just like you know someone says something goofy and then the other person pulls a funny face or i don't know it's just yeah the, there's a, a lot of one-liners actually in this serial oh okay yeah i feel like i, feel like I might i might add this one to my list of serials i want to watch with you sometime yeah who knows? Who knows when that might be? <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll just do like a, a a variety pack or something. Like we'll, we'll watch an episode or two from each of the serials that we that, that we uh, especially liked. Oh, that could be pretty entertaining, actually. Because I don't know if we'll have time to watch like the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. This has been this has been good. Cool. Well, did you have uh, other notes on on this episode, or should we move on to what was it? Conspiracy. 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 Going to learn all about what QAnon was doing back in Roman days. Bah. <laughs> bah. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut that joke. We'll see. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck those guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I think we'll... Uh, whether we're ending it on there or just ending it <laughs> see you see you next time listeners <laughs> bye bye the doctor's watcher would like to thank circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he made for us you can hear it and the rest of his music at soundcloud.com slash circuit 23 you can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com I would like to thank Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and I would like to thank all you listeners for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can reach us by email at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com, 
and on Twitter at Dr. Watcher. If you enjoyed the program, please tell all your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Young lady, why did you have to come in and interrupt? Just as I got him all softened up and ready for the old one, too. You're all right, then. All right, of course I'm all right, my child. You know, I am so constantly outwitting the opposition, I tend to forget the delights and satisfaction of the arts, the gentle art of fisticuffs. I realize you're a man of many talents, Doctor, but I didn't know fighting was... My dear, I am one of the best. Do you know it was I that used to teach the mountain mauler of Montana? What? Do you remember? Have you never heard? <laughs> no. Of course. No, no, of course you haven't, have you? No. Well, never mind. I think after all that wonderful exercise, I shall be able to get a very pleasant night's sleep. Right, off you go. Good night.